0: Welcome to They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Broadmoor Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the Thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my song, my Savior God, to Thee. How great thou art. How great thou- I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sing my song, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! Then sing my song, my Savior. great art great when Christ shall come, we shall serve acclamation, and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration, and there proclaim, my God, our great God. Then sings my soul, my sin. Oh, oh, oh.
1: Pray with me, please. God, now open our hearts and our minds to your word. Add to the word sung this morning. Help us understand, help us recognize you in our presence. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Dr. Stephen Montgomery says there was an article I read in a magazine a while back that began with these words. Now that I have cancer, it's touching time. It's touching time. It was written by a Presbyterian minister who was diagnosed with cancer. He said, I noticed there seemed to be some permission For people to touch me. He said, it's funny how a broken body is more touchable than one that's whole. Lifelong friends, he said, that I had only shaken hands with were now hugging me. He says, there's only one story in the Bible where someone touched Jesus. He was always touching others, and a woman touched the hem of his garment, and one washed his feet, anointing him with her tears. But the one where someone touched him was when his betrayer gave him a kiss. Maybe that's why all these resurrection appearances we hear about include touching It's only after the breaking time of crucifixion that resurrection, the touching time, can come. The conclusion of that article says we seem able to touch one another in our brokenness in ways that we can never in our wholeness. God likes to use broken things, broken flasks, Broken bread, broken bodies, broken relationships, broken by a kiss. My body and my spirit, he said, broken by cancer. That means it's okay to touch me. He says, I'm thankful. Jesus shows his friends, his hands, and his feet We don't usually identify one another by our hands or feet, do we? We tend to look at the face, recognize the eyes, the color of hair, maybe the build of the person. But rarely do we go looking for our friends by looking at their feet or their hands. It's remarkable when Jesus identifies himself to His disciples and His followers. He reveals to them the most vulnerable part of His body. His broken hands, broken feet, signs of defeat, of vulnerability, and crucifixion. In her book, 1994 book, Disabled God... Toward a liberatory theology of disability, Nancy Island warns us not to take too lightly that Jesus came back to life a visibly broken Christ. The foundation of Christian theology of resurrection is Christ. Seldom, she says, do we recognize this deity whose hands and feet and side bear marks of profound physical impairment. An impaired body startles his friends. Disabled God. His injuries remain As part of his identity, what would it be like to follow a disabled God? What would it be like to lead from our scars, our wounds? Jesus says, I'm real, I'm present. I've risked for you. Debbie Thomas writes a few years ago, my husband and I did the most wrenching thing we could have ever done. We hospitalized our 11 year old daughter in a residential facility. Her life was in danger. She said it was one of the hardest things we've ever done to walk away that day from that facility she said the next day i was still reeling from grief i went to a christian bookstore she said i guess to surround me with the symbols of faith which i was having a hard time with she said a few minutes went by and a very kind sales woman came up and asked her may i help you she said all i could do was cry She said, the saleswoman put her hand on my back kindly and patted it and said, just a minute. And she went over, she rummaged through a jewelry section, and she came back with a crucifix of Jesus. His face was twisted with pain. She said, she pressed that into my hand and said to me, only a suffering God can help. Only a suffering God can help. Gathered in a home in Jerusalem, the disciples trying to make sense of their world turned upside down. Here was their friend, their leader. Who had been tried and mocked and brutally crucified. And here they were, cowards. Perhaps witnessed the crucifixion, his death from a distance. And now they're huddled in grief and despair, they're talking about Jesus when suddenly he appears in their midst. Scars, he's impaired, unrecognizable apparently. Mary thought he was a gardener. There were two just before this walking on a road to Emmaus. They walked with him. He talked with them. He taught them. They didn't recognize him until he had dinner with them. The disciples are freaking out, thinking they're seeing a ghost. You would too. I would. People in those days believed in ghosts. I found that in that region, in that area, people believed in ghosts, but it was not a pleasing experience, as we could have guessed. Because they believed that if a ghost appeared, there must have been a wrong done to them that had to be addressed that they would not come back and haunt us or harass us if we hadn't done something wrong, such as an improper burial, or we didn't bury their body, or we caused an unnatural or untimely death. The most well-known ghost story in the Old Testament is found in 1 Samuel 28. King Saul, with the help of a witch, conjures up the deceased prophet Samuel to ask him for help defeating the Philistines. Even though inquiring of the dead, conducting seances is forbidden. Deuteronomy 18 11. So, possible to speak with the dead, but not allowed. Imagine the disciples, naturally frightened of ghosts, add to that this fear that one has come back to haunt them or harass them for having caused an untimely death. And to top it all off, it was forbidden to communicate with the dead. And so perhaps bringing on them punishment from God Jesus quickly reads the situation at hand he knows he only has a few precious hours left with these who are going to carry the kingdom forward this is the future church he says to them come close to me take my hand see my feet close enough where they could touch the impairment Maybe they did. We're not told that they touched him. Maybe they touched his feet and the scars in his hands. Or maybe they're simply paralyzed in fear. Jesus says, why are you frightened? And he says, well, in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. So, still wondering and disbelieving, Jesus says, let's eat, right? Let's eat. That's worked before. He used to eat all the time. In fact, some say he died because of the way he ate. He accepted two dinner invitations from tax collectors, three invitations to eat with Pharisees. He ate with his betrayer, with disciples who argued with one another, And he refused to be bullied into rejecting hospitality from Levi, Zacchaeus, the woman who anointed his feet. His table was always full of surprising guests, uncomfortable lessons learned around the table that would make respectable folk cringe. Let's eat what's for dinner and they hand Jesus a fish here he is fresh from the grave he doesn't seem concerned so much about how much they know yet only that they recognize him and know that they belong and are welcome Eating together makes people feel closer, just as Dave said earlier. It makes people feel closer. You may know already that I love to read social science research. I do. And I'm watching for glassy-eyed look. Bear with me. In 2017, I listened to an experiment that was done by researchers from the University of Chicago. And here's what they did. They tested the effects of eating together to see what happens when people eat together, when they eat the same foods and when they eat different foods. They had volunteers to role play. One would be a manager and the other would be a representative from a union. And they would bring them into the room, and they had to agree on the hourly wage that the management was able to and willing to give and that the union folk were willing to receive. But they tested it by giving them snacks during their meetings. They tried giving them, one of them, sweet candy, while the other one had a salty snack. And then they tested these volunteers by giving them both the same kind, maybe both candy or both salty snacks. Turns out that when you're eating the same food, you can come to an agreement faster. Those who ate the same food took only 3.6 rounds of negotiations to reach an agreement. While those eating different foods, it took 7.3 rounds, which come to negotiation, agreement. Food, sharing food, it brings us closer, helps us trust one another, builds cooperation. It carries memory, doesn't it? Have you ever eaten a certain food and then had a blast from the past or this emotional feeling from having had food at some previous event. When I eat cheesecake, this, to this day, I can't help to think about this young woman whom I was falling in love with when I had my first cheesecake. I married her. Food carries memories, evokes feelings and emotions, Ice cream you had holding your grandfather's hand. Or the ice cream when your brother's argument broke out. Ice cream topped by the tears of a breakup. All those emotions and feelings. So they gave him some of their dinner. Their fish. Very food he had taken. Perhaps they would have recognized The fish, he multiplied and fed to the masses. Before he could open their minds for understanding, he brought them together in communion with one another. Jesus often teaches us around the table of communion, of belonging. True story. This is not my story. My father-in-law told it. But I think it's perfect. It was originally told by the child of a Methodist minister. His family was hosting a dinner one day. It was to be a formal dinner. His mother was one of those people... When special occasions came up, they had to be flawless, perfect. She planned for weeks. She she considered every meticulous detail. She wanted everything to be just perfect. And if anything went wrong, she was the kind that would just fall to pieces. It was Sunday of the Methodist Church Revival... And the guest dinner uh, was the revival preacher. Very important person. His mother wanted it to be perfect. Beautiful rolls, relishes, a roast, flowers, crystal. All of it laid out so elegantly on a very fine, beautiful tablecloth. She was also the mother of four children... A boy who was four, a girl who was eight, a boy who was 12, and a boy who was 16. These children at that age don't always do well at formal dinners, as you know. They were tired of waiting to eat. They were still dressed in their uncomfortable church clothes. They were nervous. They were hungry, and they were fidgety. It took a long time to lay out a spread like that. Did I mention they were fidgety? Dinner time. Dinner was served. They were so excited, but the minister had to lead the prayer. And of course, it was a long prayer. And as soon as he said, Amen, they all, all four, reached at one time. The four-year-old bumped his glass of tea, knocked it over, full glass, soaking into that very fine tablecloth. And as you know, tea is aggressive, and it wants to find your lap. The eight-year-old, same time, reaching for the sugar to put in her tea, she was so thirsty, she bumped her glass, spilled it, two glasses of iced tea down. Aggressive, searching for laps. Mother was tense, embarrassed, angry, ready to hash her daughter's hand. She catches her husband's eye. He had her full attention. He reached over, deliberately knocked over his glass of tea. Nobody at that table had ever seen a grown man spill his tea on purpose. Twelve-year-old and 16-year-old thought, wow, this is a lot of fun, so they knocked theirs over, bam, bam. You have about five glasses of tea spilled, sopping through that beautiful tablecloth running after everyone's lap. Mother can't believe it. The minister can't believe it. I mean, he's never had so much fun. He giggled a little, and he reached over, and he knocked his over. Six glasses of iced tea spilled. 33 ice cubes. A mess on the table. What was once lovely linen tablecloth. There was tension in the air. Because this woman at the end of the table was about to explode. Her eyes were wide. Her jaws were clenched. She looked at her husband and he winked at her. She said, oh, what the heck? She knocked hers over too. <laughs> Everyone at the table burst into howling laughter. They were, laughed and laughed. In fact, they were laughing so hard, the mom had to lean over on her 16-year-old to keep from falling out of her chair. They laughed and laughed and then one by one began to stop laughing. Because they noticed eight-year-old Joanne. Joanne had these great big tears in her eyes. Rolling down her face, sliding across her grin, she looked at her father. this little girl was look, looking at her father with such adoration and admiration because her father had done something so very foolish and so very wise he done something not unlike a very foolish very wise thing jesus did see my hands my feet, let's eat, this mess you've made, I'm going to make it my mess too, and if anyone is going to get you for this mess, they're going to have to get me too. Grace, communion, Belonging, eating together is crucial for our Christian practice and life. Then the scriptures can be opened to us. Eating together reminds us that we belong, our strength does not come from certainty. Our faith is not etiquette. It's communion. Belonging. It's grace. When we've tasted grace and we've tasted communion we can be witnesses too. We can continue to wonder And then be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Baton Rouge, the ends of the earth. Pray with me, please. For your grace that welcomes us to the table, Lord, we give thanks. For the mercy in those scarred hands and feet we give thanks. And now teach us what it means to love others as you have loved us. To forgive and to show grace and mercy. We pray now you lead us Call us, make us follow you, and eat at your table. In Christ we pray, amen.
0: Thanks for tuning into They Didn't Teach Us That in Seminary, the Baltimore Baptist Church of Baton Rouge podcast. Please like, review, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. If you have any questions, please submit them through the Anchor app. Or join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. right in our own Broadmoor Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Otherwise, I hope you have a good week.